This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Yay, another episode of That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I am Lisa Traeger. And I'm Kara Clank. And you know how this podcast works, guys. We talk about an episode of SVU. We talk about the true crime it was based on. And then we usually interview an actor from the show. And, you know, we've not been able to do that because of the strike, but the strike is over. It's been ratified with a depressingly low participation percentage. And we are going to be having guests in the new year. This is coming out the day after Christmas. It's our last episode of 2023. What a year it's been. Um, thank you to everybody who came out and saw us live. We do have one more live show in the on the schedule for January 7th in Seattle at the Wet City Comedy Festival. It's at the Crocodile slash the Bell. What's it called? The um, I don't know. It's got like two names, but the Crocodile Lounge. It's great. It's got like great... Uh, uh, it's not even called the Crocodile Lounge. That's where I did stand up in New York. It's just called the Crocodile. Go to that'smessuplive.com. That's got the link for that. Um, you can go see Lisa there on the 6th doing stand up. There's a lot of other awesome headliners Patty Harrison, Joel Kim Booster. Go check out that fest and come see us on the 7th. I think our show's at like 6 30. And that'll be the last one we have until we start figuring out what we're doing for 2024. And um, as you're listening to this, I am in Mexico City, so I hope <laughs> you think about uh, me living my full-time fantasy. I'll think about there. you at the Casa Azul, as Rosie says. She she goes, can we go to the Casa Azul, which is what she calls uh, Frida Kahlo's house? Because if you don't know, every four- and five-year-old in the world like knows everything about Frida Kahlo. She's a, truly an icon among kindergartners. And uh, Lisa was, or Rosie was like, can we go to the Casa Azul? I go, you know, Lisa's actually going there in like a week. She was like, <gasps> Can we go too? I was like, I don't think we can tag along on Lisa's vacation, but she'll send us pictures. Well, I'll I'll, if there's a gift shop, I'll definitely see what little blue house uh, please, should I could buy. <laughs> please. They are I would love to. She is obsessed with Frida Kahlo. I mean, we've been reading her Frida Kahlo books since she was like 18 months old. And she used to point to a picture of Frida Kahlo in a suit and be like, that's daddy. And we thought that was really funny. But... She loves Frida. They named their butterfly Frida in their class. They set it free after it grew out of a chrysalis and everything in a cocoon. So big fans over here. Um, but yeah, it'll be, I will be driving back to Connecticut from West Virginia, where, by the way, I'm trying to get my kids' tickets to visit Santa at a Bass Pro Shop in West Virginia. <laughs> And it's a hard, hard ticket to get. How hard are you trying? No, my 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 mother in law's doing it. But okay. I I was she was like didn't seem like there was much of a line, but might get more crowded closer to Christmas. And I go, I can't wait to explain to my child how Santa definitely stops by a Bass Pro Shop to talk to kids every year. You know? Well, listen, some kids want a fishing pole. You know, we're not all the same. True. True. Um. Well, speaking of fucking Christmas, so earlier <laughs> this month. Uh, I'm driving back from San Diego. Everything is great. Having a nice drive, some nice phone chats. All of a sudden, it, I can't exit our exit. 
And then I'm stuck in this insane traffic. And then I finally get to where I need to go. Another street is closed. So I'm turning around with people. And then, of course, I feel bad for the people coming back in. I'm like, you're going to get stuck at the McDonald's, but I'm not helping you. And so then I get back on the highway, go backwards, exit another thing. There's streets closed, like truly miles of street closings. I see fire trucks. I don't know what's going on. I have my friend start checking the news. She's Googling stuff. She's like, there's a record event. I'm like, this isn't a fucking record event. I'm like, reckless. <laughs> I'm like, this is it. Fucking. I don't know what this is. I call Kara and she goes, it's a fucking Christmas parade. And she was stuck in it too. But I got stuck in it. I was driving. So I took Rosie to LACMA, which is a modern modern art museum in LA. And it was so cute. I took her there and I go, I got to run, run her home by like 1230, 1245. Cause I got to get to therapy by one. 12.45, we're getting to our neighborhood. This parade started at one, which is what's crazy. It was supposed to go one to two. You called me at three and there was still bullshit going on. Three o'clock, like it was supposed to be, it was an hour over by the time you hit it. I, and like, I, but I was getting there right as everybody was taking their seats to go watch it. And I just was literally panicking. Like Rosie's never kind of seen me panic like that. Like I just was like, truly I was in dead ends. I was by Casey. I was thinking I was by your old house. Like I was just like hitting all these dead ends. I was in a McDonald's drive-thru. I was in the Taco Bell drive-thru. I was like trying to get through all these ways. There was no way for me to get across this parade to get to my house. It took me 45 minutes to get home from the exit of our, our exit. And I missed my therapy appointment. I just was like texting my therapist going, ironically, this is where I need therapy the most because I am truly freaking out. I cannot get home. Jared kept going, just take a deep breath. Traffic sucks. I go, you don't understand. It's not traffic. It's literally, I, I'm trapped. I am barricaded onto one side of Figueroa and I cannot get to the other side. It was terrible. It was wild. I One woman did yell at one of the traffic cops, but it was truly like I got off on 43rd. So from 43rd Street to 60th Street, full blocked, fully yeah. blocked. I had to go all the way around. It was, it was bonkers. And then everybody bonkers. that was trying to avoid the parade and get home was in the same line of traffic. Like that was crazy. Just getting, once you figured it out and got onto the other side. So I was just was so, I was like, this I'm glad it was wasn't. Uh, well, then I called our friend and I go, what is going on? She goes, maybe the president's there. I go, shut the fuck up. The president did not come <laughs> to Highland Park randomly by the fucking food for less. You know what I mean? Wait, which friend has said that? Can you tell me? Julia, she goes, well, last time I got stuck in stuff, the president was visiting. I go, yeah, in New York City. Okay. Not in our like little area <laughs> on a random afternoon. No, I but, would love that though. If. Biden was just chilling at Food for Less one day. That would be cool. I also, I would have gone to the parade. I also wish that my Google Maps was better and told me to go on the two. Like, there would have been other options, but like, it didn't know what was happening. Yeah, but Google you know Maps what? doesn't know parades. It knows, like, accidents, but it can't figure out parades. <laughs> like, it kept telling me to go back to where I was like, I can't go there, Google Maps. And I couldn't find a traffic cop. You found one, right? That's how you eventually figured it out. Well, I and kept seeing empty vehicles. No, I saw a guy and then I saw this woman scream at him and it's like, what, girl, relax. I was really kind. I go, can you just please tell me how to get to my street? I'm like, please get me home. Yeah. And he helped, but my car reeked of weed. <laughs> like I cannot, <laughs> I cannot believe I was that desperate that I was like, listen, if I get arrested, I get arrested. I, I got to get, get home. home. <laughs> I got to get home. <laughs> well, I have more embarrassing, no blame of a Christmas parade. This is all my fault. So I go, I drive to the comedy store. I would say 
three times a week, maybe more or less for years now. I go there more than I go anywhere else, I would say. And I missed my exits twice, truly driving on the wrong highway for miles because I was listening to Taylor Swift. I twice this has happened two days in a row where all of a sudden I'm like why would I get on the 10 and then I was like oh my god I missed the 101 you were like about you hit the ocean and you were like fuck like wait where were you listening to Taylor just her music you just got yeah. so into the music oh my yes gosh. I'm just that I've it's truly broken my brain in a way I can't I can't understand. And then yesterday I'm driving to the store and then it keeps telling me to get off on these downtown. And I hate driving downtown. I yeah. feel like it's like truly Gotham. You're underground. Like I really hate driving downtown. And it kept being like, get off on the third street. Get I'm like, I'm not fucking going downtown. And then I'm like, <sighs> wait, why am I here? And then I realized I missed the 10. Uh, and then I had to go on like Martin Luther King drive so many miles, go all the way around. <laughs> it was and then I made it in time, but barely. And it was like, I was, I just, it was just oh because God. I was listening to Taylor. <laughs> I like, it's really taken over, but I was talking. So um, all of you, a lot of you on the road have uh, made us incredible SVU. That's messed up friendship bracelets. Um, and so we have like bags of them. And I, I brought some yesterday to the comedy store to give to some of our SVU friends. And it was really exciting. I felt really cool. And one of our friends, I go, I just can't get enough of her. And he goes, yeah, she's touched by God. And <sighs> I go, yeah, you're right. That is what it is. It's like, it's really, it's too much. And then I woke up, but now everyone knows it's really sweet. I always get Simpson stuff. People send me Miley things, sex SVU stuff. And now I woke up to a text about articles that are happening, different Taylor things. Yeah. I'm like waking up to pictures. You're just People adding <laughs> more intense interest to your list, but nothing ever falls we'll off. See. Everything stays on the list. Well, I'm hoping this tip tapers off a little so I'm not missing exits to my job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I just hope it's, but I had like tasks to do today, but instead I read this time article about Taylor Swift was the most I've read about anything outside of the research for this podcast. <laughs> it was, it was like an eight to 10 page article. I was scrolling it, like, forever. Like one of those long ones that take like hours. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, but the photos were good. Did I try to buy a print? I did. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> But then I got to talk to um, a friend for a really long time and made people happy. Steph Tolov did take the best bracelet. Which one? And I let her have it because that's the spirit of the bracelets. Um, I gave her Stabler's jean jacket. Oh, wait, do you have mommy's juice in that? Bag? Oh, yeah. Of course I want I do. that one. I want no, mommy's I juice. Yeah, yeah. No, I would. I mean, I, it's funny because people go, what is that? And then I get to be like, well, there's this episode where a, <laughs> a guy has to butt chug for his mom, be <laughs> a booze in her ass. Because she's an her throat. Singer. Yeah. And people just <laughs> stare. They're like, excuse me? Um, no, but she's like, why aren't there stabler ones? And, you know, because a lot are inside jokes for us. And I'm right now I'm holding Fishing Expedition, um, Postmortem, and Mariska Hargitay. But I switched them out. But she goes, isn't there a stabler one? And she goes, oh, my God, stabler's jean jacket. And she put it on her key ring. And yeah. And I texted her just so she knew. I go, just so you know, you did get one of the best ones. And she goes, thank you. I love it so much. It'll never leave my my heart. I love his denim. And I go, okay, the right person got it. Yeah. She's Canadian. 
Stabler's oh. always in a Canadian tuxedo. It's like perfect. You're totally right. Yeah. Oh, um, I had a friend call me that, that said on Hulu, there's a series called Homicide for the Holidays. And it's like holiday based murders. And no. have have we gone too far as a tri- <laughs> true crime community? Like, well, it's like everybody's just trying to find different angles in. But I don't know. It's like we can't do like an Arbor Day murder marathon. All crimes involving trees and wood. Like, it's like dashing through the snow okay and on a snow filled lake we found it's it's a little right after the family got together she was never seen again like (laughs) i don't know i i I, we it's too much i will say though you know famously my making a murderer my family watched it through a full on a full christmas holiday together uh watched the entire thing and jared was horrified so i do love the holidays i've watched it twice but not at holiday holidays was the first time what is his family watch on christmas like a christmas story jared's family um not there there's not like a thing they'll watch anything with us i mean they'll watch they like but we wouldn't probably do that but they like um they like a lot of like upstairs downstairs bbc downton abbey type shit like they should get into below deck (laughs) yeah they should if they like upstairs it is modern that is modern about downton abbey essentially and i'm sure your parents are gonna love captain are there i bet they'll love captain sandy oh no I feel like your parents would like Captain Sandy, and I feel like his parents would love Captain Lee. Yeah. yeah. Not that your parents would dislike Captain Lee, but I think they would have something going for Sandy in a way. <laughs> well, they're all Republicans, so yes, I'm sure they that would is love the each way. other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. My that parents finally moved out of my childhood home. Oh my God. They're gone. It's out. My, We're done. We're not, we don't, I don't, I can't go back to my old house anymore. Did, was there a lot of memories there? Like, did they live there? Were there boxes you had to go through, or were all your possessions gone and it's just memories? No, it's like, well, I lived there for thirty five years, right? But like, or they, well, my no. parents moved into it thirty five years ago. I didn't yeah. live in it for thirty five years, but my parents lived in it for thirty five years, and. We, like every year my mom was so big on like, can you just take these things out of the house that are yours? So like, I've been slowly moving things out. Like I just took my wedding dress out of the house like one trip ago when I was in Connecticut. So like I'm, I've been getting stuff out. So I don't really think there's anything left. I mean, there, there might be like, I asked my mom to put aside a box of VHS tapes because I want to get them digitized to DVD of like family videos and stuff. But I think like, yeah. Well, my- so I use this service to do that. I don't know if you remember a couple years ago where I got all my old family video. It was actually pre-pandemic for that show I was doing, the vacation Oh, show. right. But, and I had a Google Drive folder of them all. And then I wanted to find one from um, like a, a specific video. I'm locked out of it. I didn't, and like I downloaded them on my computer that had water damage. Right. And so I've been emailing with the company and I basically had to pay like 80 something dollars to reopen the thing. I'll get it in three weeks. Then I can download, keep it permanently. And then with a subscription, I can always keep it, whatever. But it was, they like take it away from you and I didn't know. So that's crazy. So the DVD is probably better than what I did, which was, I just thought it would always stay in my Google drive. And it it is weird that this company just has my home videos on lock. Yeah. Because like, I literally just asked a photographer to like, I was like, could I get some prints of like Rosie's gallery from last year? Like, um, I know you already took the gallery down and she goes, yeah, I'll just unlock it. She just unlocked it. Like, it's like, they could have just unlocked it for you. Like they're charging you to be dicks. 
Yeah. Fucking because they know it's your family memories. But I'm excited. I want to get those chart changed. But we were all there at my old house together in August. So we did all get together and have like a little family party. So I think that was like a nice way. But I kind of thought I'd have like one more chance to sort of go and... I don't, but my parents moved into this new place and I can't wait to see it. My sister said it's nice. And, um, is it close? It's close to, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably 20 minutes from my parents' old house and closer to my brother where it's, which is usually where I stay when I go back now. So, so it is close it'll be to pretty close. Okay. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. So it'll be good. Um, no, my parents are still scurrying up and down two flights of stairs all the time, nonstop, running up and thing. down. My mom like insisted on moving to a place where it had like a first floor master bedroom, a first floor. I mean, a no getting into a tub, like a, sh- a walk in shower. Like they're trying to minimize accidents because, you know, the day they had to move out of the house, like the final day, final, final day, my dad decided oh, wait, we haven't taken anything out of the attic yet. They just never went up there. There was like hockey sticks and sleds from when we were kids up in the fucking attic that they have to get rid of. My dad stepped through the attic floor, through the ceiling, the day they had to move out. Oh my God. (laughs) So like he didn't like get hurt, but that's like they had to get a contractor in there to like fix it before the new people moved in the next day. Damn. It's Damn. fucking nuts. Like, like I, my mom goes, my mom was like, I mean, I guess shit happens. And I was like, yeah, with you guys, so much shit happens. I but. wonder if basement and attics are regional or like something like that. Because we, uh, most of my friends had basements. We were in basements. I didn't know of attics. Attics were just on TV for me. Yeah, we have an attic, but it's like you had to like pull a ladder down the way you do in well, Christmas that's TV. vacation. Yeah, yeah. And so we never went up there. Like, I think in my life, I've been up there twice, maybe. Like, I I don't know. My parents would just, like, go up there and, like, put boxes and come back down. Like, I don't even think they walked. Like, it was just, like, a place to, you know, obviously it doesn't have a secure flooring. But we had a storage space off of my childhood bedroom that was, like, that was what we kind of used as an attic. It was what we called the storage space. But it it was, you could put all the shit in there. And that's where I hid my phone when I bought a phone on my own and I plugged it into a jack so I could have a phone in my own room because my parents said I couldn't. Um, and I would like make little phone calls and then hide my phone in the storage space. And it never rang. They couldn't really tell when it was ringing. They weren't like in my room with me, you know, like it yeah. rang like the rest of the house, but they couldn't really tell. Was it a clear phone with where you could see all the wiring? I wish I wanted that so badly. That was my absolute jam. But no, it was like some phone I won through selling wrapping paper for my school. Like I would sell, that was like our thing that we did for fundraising or whatever was like wrap, sell wrapping paper and I, you would win prizes and I won I was able to choose my prize and I chose this like little shitty phone. Like, I don't even think it had a cradle. I think it was just like a headset piece that you went like this and you could dial on it. Like it was, it was crazy, but you I just You are was, the poster child of you should allow your kids to do things or they will learn how to sneak and lie like no other. Absolutely. There's Absolutely. just no trust. I know. But like you got away with everything. Might as well just be like, yeah, have a phone. I just, you know, know. it's just such a bad parent. Not that your parents are bad. It's a bad, um, that's the generation. Yeah. They like just that said generation no to everything. was silly. Yeah. yeah. It was just, you're in trouble and then your kids are sneaking out windows. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, <laughs> I don't know why they thought it was a good idea to be so strict when everyone was climbing. I know. I know. I, it's definitely made me think about how I'm going to do things differently, for sure. Yeah. Uh, if Rosie wants a phone in her room, whatever. But by the way, a phone in your room is not going to exist when Rosie's older because they're all just going to have cell phones. But when do I give her that? That's the big question. Well, um, I think you can get her a jitterbug, right? Jitterbug. Yeah. You, one uh, of you those can, little. 
Yeah, or one without um, data where she would need Wi-Fi to be on There's it little, like, watches, too, that can get texts and make calls and are, like, little watches for kids. I might do that, too. Yeah, and throw a, um, what are those, trackers in the backpack. Yes, a freaking, or, you like, know, a tile. I heard you could put the tiles in the shoes. Because the bags can be missing, but you can, like, under the sole or something, you can, like, wow. put them in the shoe. Wow. Or t- even in the, yeah, because... You know what I've been watching on TikTok? Well, now I don't have TikTok anymore on my phone. Hopefully I've not put it back on. But um, I was listening to 911 calls where people can't be free to talk. Like, you know, it's them ordering a pizza uh-huh. or something like that. And the other per- and then the operator is just like, tell me if you're in trouble and can't talk. And then it's yes. And then it's like how they get the cops there while. Wow. I think about that being like all the time. I yes. always think about how I'll like make a phone, like call 911 really quickly and then hide my phone and be like, I'm just here in, in <laughs> at, at my address and like say your address. I don't know. Like I think about that. That's like a, a like probably a rescue 911 thing or something I picked up as a child. Yeah. It's, and then it's like, does the person armed and it's say pepperoni. And then you like hear a man yelling, like, I said that, you know, it's, it's pretty yeah. wild. But, um, you know, it's just hard to think because, like, most of humanity is bad at what they do. <laughs> not really. That's not true. But a lot of people are bad at their jobs. And we yeah. we see that all the time. And it's just so scary if you call the wrong 911 operator. Yeah. Who's like, and it's cool nobody there to watch the and good they just ones. hang up. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it's so scary to think what if you got one that was, like, shift over, totally. wrong number. Yeah. You know. Well, we have to get the episode started, but I also yes. I wanted to really quickly on the tip of of Taylor TikTok wrapping up everything we've talked about today. Thank you guys so much for all watching and sharing our little TikTok video we made of the We're Best Friends, We're SVU fans video that we made. We had such a fun time making that because we knew that like only SVU people would like get what we were talking about. So and thank you all for spamming the comments of Travis and Jason's podcast. We are you know, hoping to get a call that they well, want to be on or whatever. So I'm listening to today's episode. Um, I'm a weekly listener to the New Heights podcast now. And they're, they brought up Two Bears, One Cave. They brought up fucking Segura and Bert. And those boys have enough. We, yeah. I, but I'm it's hoping a, it's our that time. we get brought up. <laughs> so I'm about to text Segura and be like, don't you fucking dare. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I was going to say, oh, and if there are TikTok trends. That's what I was going to say. That yeah. you want us to do, send them to us because we'd love to make more videos. Videos, um, but we, we're, like, we're only two yeah. elder millennials. We're just two elder mills. And so like Lisa's took it off her phone and I'm not on it that much. So if you see like a trend that seems like it would be fun for like the SVU or for us or whatever, send it to us, uh, DM it to us, to our Instagram or whatever, and let us know. So, cause like, we'd love to make more stuff like that and it's fun and yeah. Um, uh, but let's get started. Hopefully you had a great time with Santa. What's day? Boxing day? I don't know. Is yeah, the 26th right? boxing day? Let me see. I don't even know what it is. Me neither. Yeah, it's Tuesday, December 26th. So happy Boxing Day to all Canada. So what is Canada Boxing Day? The day after Christmas is the Feast of St. Stephen, the first Christian martyr. It's also known as Boxing Day, a secular holiday celebrated in parts of the Commonwealth, including Canada. So Okay. Happy happy Boxing boxing Day Day to all who celebrate. A knockout punch of a day for you. Here's a Boxing Day treat this episode. 
So we're doing merchandise today, um, and that's season 12, episode 4. You obviously know it's not a good type of merchandise, but let's jump in here. <laughs> it's, not about, it's not about Benson knowing all the high-end brands. <laughs> no. No, this one's sad. Okay, so we start off, and there's a Dakota Fanning-looking girl running very, very fast. She's breathing hard. She's scared. She's running through a farmer's market. She's in flannel. She's knocking down people. It's very action movie. Produce is flying. You know, it could be a comedy, but she looks panicked. Um, someone's yelling at her, but she's clearly in distress. And I don't understand why no one helps her. Like every adult at the farmer's market's like, hey, bitch. And it's like, yeah, she's clearly like, running Get back for here her and life. clean up this jam, you dumbass. Like it's like, yeah, she looks terrified. I, I just can't believe not one adult went, what, what's wrong? How can I help you? You know, like not fucking one. But uh oh, she gets hit by a car. And now she's dead in the street. So I guess uh, may maybe they're thinking twice about the, how they acted. So obviously Melinda's now on the case. She's standing over the body and I paused it in that moment to type and the light is hitting her gorgeous. Like she is glowing in these blue scrubs. <laughs> it is golden hour. So Melinda is glowing, but I am haunted by like this girl when she landed the Foley art, the noise of her crunching on the cement was not good for me. Very authentic noises oh, God. of a body hitting cement. So something is jacked up with a socket. So that's not good. So the zygomatic socket is busted. The scapula radius ulna in the eyes are all fucked. Uh, but Benson and Stabler are like, okay, sure. But why are we called for a traffic fatality? And Melinda has a killer line because I know how to do my job. Yeah, you do, bitch. Um, and like it's season 12. Why are you testing Melinda? Yeah. Why are you testing Melinda? Come so on. annoying. Um, and her <laughs> full curls are on command today. Um, and so Melinda gets the sad news. There's ligature and friction marks on the wrists and ankles. She is abused and she was starved to death. And then this quote, it's sad, but it's it, the the wording is funny to me. The Her heart is soft and floppy. Floppy is an Easter bunny, not for a heart. Get a get a thesaurus. You know what I mean? Like No, but it's weird. Like floppiness is always in medical jargon. There's a thing called like floppy baby. Like when they're first born, if they're floppy, that's like bad. You have to like figure out what's going on. Like they're supposed to be more like rigid and tensed up because they just got pulled out of a body, you know? And like if they're floppy, it's like a bad sign. Wow. I think it's called like floppy baby syndrome or something like that. But aren't they all know. floppy? Like, how do you know what when the baby's floppy versus a regular baby? I think, um, well, here, let me see. What causes floppy baby syndrome? Mm, neuromuscular disorder, central nervous system. I don't know. I think it's just like when they come out, they're usually tensing up their little arms and legs and they're screaming, you know? And then, so, like, when they come out, they're, like, rigid with their legs and arms kind of, like, tense, yeah, pissed. I think. Yeah, and so yeah. floppy's not not the best. Yeah, a little. But anyway, it is a funny, it is a funny, like, word in general. It just sounds more, like, whimsical and silly than what like it really means. Rabbit. Yeah. Um. So there's also lumen in her stomach and nothing in the small intestines. And her body was breaking down muscle for fuel. Her liver was, like, fucked and greasy. This is sad. Like, this girl was starved to death. And, um, but behind Melinda is a skeleton you'd find at a school or a party city. So it is funny. She's being really serious. But then there's, like, just a, a floppy skeleton in the back and it's like I think you Melinda should know what a like what bones are which bones you know I what know, I mean I've seen 
I've seen that before. The only reason I think it could be there is so she can explain it to detectives and be like, see where the scapula hits the whatever, because she does do that a lot. She does a lot of teaching to them, but it is funny. I've se- I think I saw that when they had that little morgue party where she was trying to fuck iced tea. Yeah. I think I saw that skeleton just like chilling with a Santa hat on. Yeah, Melinda's in an open marriage. So <laughs> anyway, so Stabler asks a good question. How was she even managed to run? And Melinda explains it was adrenaline. She's between 12 and 15, and she gave birth within the last year because her pelvic cradle is spreading. Uh-oh. And then the car didn't even kill her. The, you know, the cab rushed the process, but she would have died in, in soon, you know? So Melinda is ruling it a homicide. We go to the credits. We come back to a flooding in the squad room. They're mopping water. There's trash bags everywhere. The pipes are old and the city will not get them new pipes. So then Cragen's like, I hear you're questioning Melinda's ruling and she's pissed. And why are you challenging the ME? And they're like, we just don't think it's possible to build a case because it didn't actually kill the Jane Doe like the cab did. So the best we could do is attempted murder. So, okay, then fucking do it. You know what I mean? Um, So anyway, so Finn has footage up on the flat screen and Cragen goes, well, let's find the bastard who starved her and not be worrying about court and what to charge and the cases like let's find who starved her. So we're watching footage of her running and Benson's like, whoever she's running from, she looks fucking terrified. And then they notice there's a kid running behind her that also looks like he's trying to get away. So there's two of them. He got lost in the crowd. And so she fell into lot 50 on the footage and that, so they're going to go to the market and talk to the lady and the lady's pissed. She's a dumb bitch. It's like the girl is dead, but sure your jars of blueberry compote are really a priority here. I kept thinking that they were going to like break the news to her like the girl is dead but it does then it, they don't so I'm like oh so do you just know and you still want her to come back from the dead and pay for the blueberry compote no, she wanted the cops to pay she wanted the city to pay for her compote like she doesn't care <laughs> a child's dead she's not questioning herself being like fuck should I have done more to help you know like that's not really happening so a man behind her is like get over it to the you know to the wife I think it's a husband it's a husband energy for sure um and so this isn't luscious grape you know I don't think he's <laughs> like an evil boss. So she's losing it. She's like, but she ruined our display, Bob. And the husband's like, we don't want to get the girl in trouble. There are more important things than your stupid jam. This Karen is so annoying. And the Karen is like, speak for yourself. Those kids are a menace. So they're like those kids. And it's the Mission Farms hires. So there's usually more of them. And it's a program that gives at-risk kids day jobs. Um, You know, instead of therapy, activities, love, let's get them a job. You know, instead of taking them to the aquarium, let's get them a job in the in the fields. What the fuck? So the husband identifies that that girl running, her name is Carly. And then um, he, the wife is like, oh, he's such a pushover. He was always giving them samples. And that girl scarfed up my food. And it's like, are you pissed that she's hungry and eating it too fast? You're mad she destroyed it. Now you're mad she's scarfing it down. Like... I just don't understand the mind frame. But there are people that don't believe in free school lunch and they believe kids should have to be janitors to get food. Like, there are bad people. It's just not the vibe of somebody who sells blueberry compote at a farmer's market. That's not who I think is going to be horrible to children. <laughs> like, But this bitch sucks. She goes, and then they had the nerve to puke it all up. It's like, why would you not <laughs> help her? 
Benson and Stabler hate her like we do. And we find out the kids are only there on the weekends. And they're like, how did no one notice that these children were starved? So they go to speak to the farmer's market management to find out where the farm is. And they say it's in Long Island, Suffolk County. So Finn is like, you didn't have an issue with them only using children as labor. And Finn is not into this. Finn has a lot of deep um, feelings in this episode. And the dude is classic. Well, the law says 12 and 13 year olds can do farm work with parental consent and 14 and up can work without consent. And Finn's like, yeah, but they're getting paid like shit and they get charged for all this stuff. So they're in debt to farmers. They're like indentured servants, you idiot. And the dude says, no way. You're talking about illegals. These are like at risk American kids. And Finn goes, yeah, they're just as vulnerable. So he presses for a W-2 for a girl named Carly. And the dude does have one, which is wild. Um, The last name is Holbart. She's 15 Lower East Side address. So he writes it down for Finn. And now we're knocking on an apartment building. Nobody is answering for a very long time. So Finn knocks on the neighbor's door. She has a blunt bob cut, glasses, and looks like she's about to talk. I thought she would be a nosy neighbor. She goes, oh, the Holbert's actually got evicted about a year ago after the mother died cancer and then they went away and she slams the door in his face (laughs) like she I guess I called her wrong yeah he goes do you know where they went she goes away and just shuts the fucking door she's classic it's yeah but I thought she was gonna be a different classic I thought she was gonna know everything and be caring you thought she was gonna be like uh, if you wanna know what I think yeah but instead she also doesn't care where these kids are (laughs) so um, no one wants to help anybody so the parents photos are on the board now at the squad there's security footage pics so the family was tossed out on the street about a year ago they were drowning in hospital debt he has no current job and Finn goes there's no missing report for Carly and Cragen's like do we think the dad is the one who starved her and Finn goes I mean that's a lot of mouths to feed and no income so the dad used to work in construction but he can't work until he pays his union fees and he hasn't done that so Cragen's trying to find a uh, like find him for like somehow so they're going through his unemployment social security but Benson says those benefits stopped a long time ago but what do we what what do we have we find a car registration it's a station wagon and there's also three other kids so what's up with all those kids we have Mike 13 and daughters savannah seven and lizzie five cute names so the child services took them for a few months but then the dad got them all back and then fully disappeared from the system finn runs in and the car has been found and they head down to the car stabler and benson walk through a homeless alley type place and it's bad you know it's it's like um it's sad benson's like fuck we can't tell him that his daughter is dead here like this is bad and stabler goes it doesn't matter where we you know, tell him he's going to be upset. They sadly approach the station wagon. It's a bridge covered thing on 116th street. I can't imagine where this is. Like, I don't know any open areas like this. Yeah. Me neither. I just feel like the city is so jam packed in every, like every crevice. This is like a big car park under a bridge. Like it's huge. I don't know. But there are small kids playing behind the station wagon. The dad comes from behind the car. He goes, I know, I know. I shouldn't block the alley. I'm leaving right now. I'm leaving. He tells the girls to rinse off with a jug of water. They're like, oh, no, you actually need to come with us. He then pleads, please don't take my kids away. And they say this is about Carly. And he gets so excited. He goes, oh, my God, have you seen her? And this guy is great. He is from Nurse Jackie. He's the guy that Nurse Jackie um, cheats on her husband with. He's the pharmacist. And he does have a good energy 
even though we are going to be mad at him throughout this whole episode. So he asks if she's okay, and they say that we should discuss it in private. He, of course, breaks down. He knows what's up, and he starts screaming, no, no, no. The little girls are like, wait, what's wrong? What's going on? Please don't take us. He's trying to be calm for them, but he is freaking out. So they have him now at the precinct, and they explain what happened. Your daughter was hit by a car, and she went quickly. He says, it's my fault. I should have looked after them. I couldn't even do that. He says, I saw her the last time a year ago because they were working farmland. It's a place on Long Island. When their mom died, he just couldn't pay the bills and could barely feed them. And Stabler is pissed. He goes, you sent your kids away to make money? He says that he had no choice. Some lady just told him they were too young to work in the city, but not outside the city. And it's like, who is this lady? Like, what? So you turn defenseless minors to a stranger? He says, well, a woman wouldn't hurt them. He's a fool. Um, so he's a fucking idiot. She gave me a phone number and talked with them. And then one time, one day the number got disconnected. He said her name was Magda Paloma, 35. She was short and she had a little scar over her left eye and they got a license plate of the car. And, and then they ask, Oh, did she give you an advance for salaries? And he says, yes, $500 each. And Stabler is visibly sickened and said, you sold your children to a predator. He screams, I love my kids. I got them work. Benson says, dude, you had other options. And he says he begged child services to help. They dragged his kids away crying and screaming and split them up. And one kid had a broken arm from an attack in foster care. He's like, foster care sucks. And I had to get all my kids back. They then reveal that Carly was fucking pregnant and he starts to finally realize like how bad this is. And he asks, did she get abused or something? And Benson kind of tears up a little bit. And she's like, your child was starved, beaten and sexually assaulted. Dramatic music plays and he cries and he shakes his head. Benson looks stern at him. Stabler scowls. He's like, I sent them away so they can have food and shelter and be safe. And Stabler opens the folder with the pictures so he can see what fucking happened. And he goes, does this look safe to you? And he cries. I mean, this is the first time where I kind of understand where he's coming from, where he's like, well, they were going to have shelter and food. I thought it was like a good decision. So because this whole time I'm like. Selling kids for 500 bucks is insane. Like, why are you trusting a random woman in a phone? Like, but then. The finally getting to see where he was coming from is a little insightful. I'm sure they also know how to dupe you. They're like, yeah, they get to live in nature. They work two hours a day and then they go to school. It's like going to forest school. It's like an outdoor, you know, community or whatever. You know, they're not telling them we're going to pimp them out. And like, like the $500 is just to like get them started with supply, you know, whatever. Like, I'm sure they know how to fool them, even though it's like unconscionable. Yeah. So then the dad in the in the photos in the crowd sees a picture and he goes, that's my son. That's Micah. Do you have Micah? So they always looked after each other. He's like, he would never leave his sister just bleeding in the street. He must be in danger, too. Please, please help me find him. That's my boy. So Cragen's at the office with the crew and the dude and it's dark in the office. Uh, turn on a lamp. It is so dark. <laughs> uh, but Mission Farms is bogus. There's no info anywhere about them. The license plate to the car was reported stolen a year ago and the phone number was a burner cell that was bought in a bodega. Benson is playing with the little kids and gets up and they're like, this Paloma bitch is a ghost. So... You know, she's well-organized. She's a lying predator. And Sabler goes, yeah, and I blame the dad that sold his kids. And Cragen's like, I mean, some kids do have jobs. And it is so funny because sometimes Cragen has no patience for people. And then when he chooses to see the good in people, it makes no sense. 
Yeah. Like, why is he trying to defend this? At like, the he'll be like, he'll be like this fucking addict. And it's like, but you are an addict, you know? And then he'll be like, I don't know. The guy was just trying to get his kids some pocket money. You know, <laughs> like he's, he does have weird sides. Yeah. And like his boomer is showing, but he goes here yeah. and Stabler goes, no, kids should have a childhood. And Stabler and Cragen go back and forth. Um, and Cragen is soft and Stabler is like, fuck you. So basically though, the work was legal. So they have to cut like everyone loose and being homeless isn't a crime. So Cragen doesn't want to split the family up. Finn runs in and a civilian caught the chase on his cell camera. And it's not what we think. So we watch it and done, done. Micah pushed Carly into traffic. I know. So her brother. I gasped, but I knew (laughs) I just watched it. But I was like, I can't believe it. Why would the boy do this? And so he looks so scared. So I do have a new candle and it does smell like bananas. And I get whiffs of it once in a while. And it brings me to such a place of joy. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I love that. It's like a little serotonin boost candle. We are. And I know it's like so sad because the brother just killed his sister. But then I got a whiff of banana and I was like, "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) hmm. So anyways, why would that happen? So, And he looks scared as well. So Finn is like, yeah, he was abused too. Um, and he found out that he was charged with prostitution and resisting. So first they work on the farm and then they're forced into the sex trade. And Finn goes, yep. And there's more money in flesh than produce. And uh, private adoption, Benson says, fuck, they probably sold Carly's baby. And I didn't even fucking think about this. I thought it was people who wanted a baby. Then we find out infants on the black market, that's a ton of money. Cragen goes, then you can raise your own victim. Did your brain even go there? Yeah, no, but I mean, I like, yeah, no. You get a baby and you raise you uh, to raise your own victim. I totally thought it was just rich people wanting babies. Like my, yeah. uh, that is dark, dude. That is fucking dark to think about. Yeah, really horrible. Oh my god, raising your own victim. So, yeah. Raise victim in-house is the direct quote. Saber's like, whoa, how can a 13-year-old be charged for an act he can't legally consent to? Finn goes, oh, I'm livid about this. And goes, first thing I'm going to do is ask the dude that fucking pinched him. So Finn runs up to a young woman detective and Finn goes, you you know Micah Holbert? And she goes, yep, I've, uh, you know, I've brought him in before for pandering. And Finn goes, yeah, he's 13. He's a victim. She says, fine, I'll let him know next time I call her him for working a corner. And Finn goes, they are sexually assaulted. We can't treat them like criminals. And she responds, well, we match the photos to missing persons and then send them home to the same screwed up families that made them run away in the first place and they're back on the corner. And Finn goes, we need to protect these children. And she's like, well, they have to testify against the pimps in open court. And Finn goes, nobody is gonna talk. And she's like, exactly my problem. It sucks, dude. I hate this. So I still don't like her though. And Finn is like, (laughs) okay, just help me find Micah. Bring me to the pimps. So they go to the pimps, they ride together, and there's all these losers lined up with their hands over their head. Finn goes, fact, now all of you are my bitches. Fact, deliver this kid to me or get used to living in the tombs. Fact, until then, no stable safe, no Johns out of reach. And most of all, no money gets made. So then one dude immediately is like, relax, relax, I can help you out. Um, So he's trying to be chill and helpful and, and sly. We don't really know what's going to happen. Finn goes, who are you? And he's being super vague and silly. But the other detective knows him and calls him a maggot and a nickel drug dealer and pimp. 
So he's bad. He works with kids and he points to her and says, I told you nobody wants an old whore. (laughs) And I kind of like that, even though it's fucked up. But men do like to, men are pedophiles in their full spirit and they have to fight (laughs) against it at all times. So Finn asks who runs him and they say he's a drop off. Whoever runs um, doesn't get involved. They keep their distance and nobody watches those kids. Those kids police each other. And he goes, I wish I knew how to do that. So you I can't even I can't even fathom the abuse that these kids like are loyal to the pimps over each. It's scary. So Finn gets in his face and goes, I need this kid brought to me by this time tomorrow. And the dude goes, I'll have Jasmine deliver him to you and only you. Finn goes, do that. And so Finn, it's like, yeah, he's doing what you're saying. It's so funny. <laughs> but Finn runs to the office and it's overrun with water. The pipes finally burst. Everyone has a box of files and they move to the command center outside. They're going to be out there for a minimum of a week because the dude that rehabs the precincts, he just got indicted. L-O-L. <laughs> Wait, so I was like kind of wondering like, why are they doing this? Like, why are they doing this weird, the precinct is flooding thing? And I was reading about this episode for something else and found out that this episode is like right when they were moving their studios from New Jersey to Chelsea Piers. So I think it has something to do with that. They're like in transition. And so they're using like kind of, we got to get out of the office, you know, and work out of a van because like maybe it wasn't ready by like a week or something, you know? But but I thought that was interesting because I was like, this is such a dumb plot point that has nothing to do with actually what's happening in the episode. It's just inconvenient, you know? Yeah, because usually when things are in construction and a mess, it involves, like, like, I'm just thinking about when Munch got paint on his yeah, outfit. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of, too. That might have been they, when they were, like, because they have to explain that they're refurbishing the place. Because, you know, the precinct changes so much yeah. it, over the course of the show. But this pipes and water, I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, my God, I think it's because of this big move from, they, like, lost their tax credit in New Jersey. And so they moved back to the city. Which I bet everyone was happier with. Yeah. Wait, but yeah, so, but I also love that the dude that's going to fix it's indicted and it's because concrete testing was fake and so they might have to overhaul the whole foundation of the whole <laughs> building. But then they go to this mobile center, fully painted, set up, professional trailer. Like, it looks like an office. Things are bulletined. I, there is no way this is slapped together. There's like yeah. full walls. There's like walls in there. It's not a trailer. So they're running the description on Magda against any known traffickers. There are three options. So let's get a mug book going after we get Micah in custody and show him the photos. Finn goes, the deadline's tomorrow. We'll see what happens at the drop-off. Cragen sends a squad to back him up. We see really young children. It's really sad. Um, It looks like they're playing dress up, but it's just children that are sex workers victims. I don't know. It's awful. Stabler's like, oh God, you know, thinking about his kids. Benson goes, those are not your kids. He knows, but it just sucks. Benson says, as long as we treat victims as criminals, it will always be the same. Arrest the Johns, get them. They all get slaps on the wrist. Nobody cares. Nothing is a deterrent. These creeps. Benson wants to treat them like the scum they are. Finn finally has his sights on Micah and he pretends to be a John. And then this is really upsetting. Micah says, hands 30, blowing goes 40, in and out six He's wearing a green tank top and he has a very Devin Sawa vibe. And Finn is a good John. He knows what's up. And so then Micah But Finn like looks like such a cop to me. Like, it's just like, he does not look, I don't know. Like, 
No, because he's it's, also, isn't he the cop killer too? Like he is iced tea. Sure, he is iced tea, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who at any point is picking up a team for a blow and go. Like that's just not the vibe I get from Finn or from Ice or from like- But any, we like, know him. him. Yeah, um, of course, of course, of course. But I'm I sure think- That that kid is, has seen all kinds. That's what I mean. Like we assume no one is molesting children, which makes it- easier for people to molest children yeah, because they're all the doing problem. it. You are. It is up to you and I'm, call, I'm calling <laughs> child services. No, Micah go, then goes around the world is 300. Um, so that's upsetting. Around the world means all the holes in one session. That's I looked it up. So it's okay. all, all three holes is around the world. But Urban Dictionary did have other explanations. In this capacity, I know what it is. But it, it also means rimming situation, like a circle around the butthole. Uh. And then the third um, Urban Dictionary explanation is licking from the top of an ass crack to the bottom, then up the pussy and dick. Oh. But um, in terms of where we're coming from, I think it's every hole. Yeah. Finn says, well, this car's too small for what I want to do. Let's take a ride. And the dude goes, yes. So then Stabler approaches him and immediately the fighting. Is, I mean, this young actor is very talented. Like the thrashing, fighting, screaming and pain that he does throughout this whole episode is masterclass. And he's crawling. He like does not want to be punished. And he goes, you don't understand. You have to let me go. They'll get punished. Stabler calms him down. And then we see that there's bloody marks all over his back and body. And it horrifies the detectives. He kneels and cries and says, they'll get punished. Please let me go. They'll get punished. She repeats. And he starts thrashing as we stare at his giant wounds that are as giant as his whole back. In the cop car, he's pushing against the door and windows, screaming, let me out, you bitches. They also want to know how to help Jasmine. Stabler and Benson are like, come with us. She's like, uh-uh, you see his back? My daddy is good to me. He would never do that. She does give them the info that they need, that he travels an hour to get to the city, but doesn't know more. And they, again, try to protect her and, like, give her a place to stay and get her counseling. And she says, all you're doing is making sure I get smacked. And they're like, wait, you said he didn't mistreat you and you're getting hit? And she goes, well, my stepdad did a lot worse. So can I go now? And they say, please just wait. And then Finn is about to zip tie Micah, but they don't want him to. They're like, what the fuck? Like, he's probably been, you know, he is tied up and has ligature marks. So, like, the zip tie is going to scare him. But also, I don't get why they're not just bringing him to the precinct faster. Like, get him into a room. You know what I mean? Feed him. I I, I yeah. don't understand why they have to, like, sit him in the car for this long. They don't know what to do because he's flipping out, but they don't want to tie him up because that's trauma. But now he starts banging his head against the window so hard they have to take him out. Stabler grabs him and goes, just calm down and you can get untied. And he breathes a little softer. We're at the hospital and there's evidence of repeated sexual penetration, severe malnutrition, he is a human trafficking victim. And the doc says, oh, that makes total sense. And on top of that, he also has farm pesticide stuff in his blood, calloused hands. And this is all just so upsetting. He asks if he has any family or any help through counseling or treatment. And we're like, well, the father lives in a fucking car, but we'll find him now. So Stabler's like, we need to talk to Micah. And the doctor says, well, I hope you have better luck than me. They enter his room cautiously. He's so silent. He's like, you should have let me go. You're going to get them killed. 
and they say, tell us where they are. We'll get them out. He goes, you're liars. And everybody lies. Nobody does something for nothing. And Stabler says, I do. And now um, Dan Goldberg walks in, Micah's guardian at Lidtum, assigned by family court. And you can't interrogate my client, Benson says. It's not an interrogation. It's an interview. Either way, goodbye. Stabler says, let's go outside. So they exit the room in the hallway to chat. And this guy, he is well known. He was in Maria Bamford's show on Netflix. He played her manager. And he's also in one of my favorite movies, In a World. And he plays the dad in it. So that's exciting. Wait, he also plays the father in... Wait, I have to look this up. I'm sorry. Wait, do you know his name? I'm looking it up. uh, Fred Melamed. Sorry. He's in Casual and he plays the main people's father and he's like this complete narcissist and they have like a complicated relationship with their parents. He is really good. He's in so much like... Um, he, this man has seven things in pre-pro. I, or, I mean, it, like in upcoming, like he feels like he's so prolific. Fred Melamed. Yeah, Love he's him. really great. And I've only seen him in like sillier parts. So, but whatever. So he, you know, is stopping this interrogation, like this chat from happening. And the detectives are trying to help Micah, you know, so... Sabler takes him outside in the hallway to chat. And this guy... Um, My question is also like, where has this man been? Because like, I'm a casa, you know, and get, he's a gal. Guardian ad litem is gal. And like, they're sometimes like considered, like it'll be like casa slash gal or whatever. And I'm kind of like, have you not been checking it? Like, who called you? How did you get involved? Like at this think, juncture when things are really bad? Do you think like, he just joined, like they just got him? They're like, you get to the hospital now? Assigned. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Sabler breaks it down to him, but the guy is like, I'm sorry, until he is no longer a suspect in his sister's murder, he is off limits. Like, I'm here to protect him. Benson goes, you're risking the lives of other children, but he thinks he's doing the right thing in protecting Micah. So Finn and Cragen are standing outside the mobile unit and Cragen is fuming. The construction workers are just hanging around and they're not working because they're union guys. <laughs> and so... I just love Cragen being upset. Benson and Stabler <laughs> approach in sunglasses. They can't get Micah to talk. The DA doesn't want to prosecute an abuse victim as an adult for murder. And then Finn says, this kid's going to juvenile lockup or a psych ward. Benson says, either way, Goldberg isn't going to let him anywhere near us. So unless we give him something he needs. So what is that? Cragen says, let's get a psych evaluation of intent and w- like when he was chasing his sister down. Stabler thinks family court will cut him loose, but if they can find out that he didn't mean to cut, kill his sister. So Cragen's going to call Dr. Huang. So we hear BD Wong's voice say, Micah, don't hold your breath. And we see an angry Micah. Poor boy. He wants out. He starts screaming to be out. He says, I'll open the door, but you are not allowed to go out. He respects the boundaries and says that he hates locks and chains and it's dark and musty and it smells rotten. So he was kept in a cellar and he was locked up on a farm in a cellar. So that's why they opened the door. So like, you know, not to trigger um, him. So he said any mistake and every single kid gets beat so no one can make some mistakes. No marks on the girls because men don't want them ugly. And Huang asks for um, like, well, what happened the first day on the farm? And Micah begins to pace. So Magda drove him there and she was nice. We ate ice cream, played games, but then um, he was left with Liam and they just know him as just Liam. Benson and Stabler are with the lawyer and is like, we can't protect him from his abuser if you keep doing what you're doing. Is that what you want? He says, you know, I don't. 
don't, but until the judge rules, my hands are tied. That's it. Huang um, is, you know, talking to Micah and he goes, he made sure you never paid off your debt, didn't he? And you're on the hook for everything, food, water, shelter. And then sadly the sex started. So the money was so good that he wanted more money. So then the farm trips turned into motel trips. And then on the weekends he spent on the knee on his knees, taking one right after another. And like, the thing is the price is so cheap. Like if the money is good, that means he's working so fucking much. It gets worse. Wait till we get to the next part. Yeah. He kicks a chair. He's upset and mad. Ten of the, There's 10 of them total, and six of them made money from sex. And then he says, um, and Carly, and he breathes heavily. And BD Wong says, you're safe here. Have a seat. He leans in. He goes, what happened to the others? So we work days, and we work nights, and we didn't always get to eat, not even what like what we picked. They, we only ate scraps and garbage from compost, unless the girls were pregnant. Then we ate real good. So there were three babies born, and so during those times, they got to eat well, but the babies Babies were taken away right away and never seen again. He says Carly wanted her baby and it didn't matter how she got it. It was hers, but they don't know what happened to the baby. BD Wong looks so disgusted and desperate to help him, but like, you know, need he needs to take a moment. So he walks out and they, he goes, they need to catch these animals. He asks, did you ever notice any landmarks or road signs when you went to these motels? He says, I usually keep my eyes shut. The car rides make me sick. Carly would rub his belly to make him feel better. His sister took care of him. And he's crying at this point. We took care of each other, he says. And she tried to leave. If she left, they would beat us. Carly knew how bad they would beat us. Why would she try to run? BD Wong explains, well, maybe she was trying to get help. And he starts to freak out. No, 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 no. Please don't say that. He knocks down the chair and starts thrashing. Huang is trying to figure out what's going on. He's crying because if she was really trying to save them, then like, Uh uh-oh. And BD Wong goes, what did you do? He goes, I killed Carly. I pushed her and she got hit. And he starts crying. Stabler nods. We hear Micah say, I didn't know she was trying to save us. I killed my sister. Huang kneels and puts his hand down his shoulder as he cries. Stabler's like, we need to find this bitch. He tells the lawyer, man, like, we need to go through mug books. Like, we need to do this. Lawyer, the lawyer says that's Dr. Huang's call. So he's recommending immunity and witness protection. Thank God. The lawyer doesn't think that any family court judge is going to accept that. Huang goes, I don't fucking care. A federal court judge will accept it. And I'm the FBI and I'm taking over. Benson's like, wait, slow down. What? He goes, human trafficking, sex trafficking, the man act, like transporting minors across state lines, all violating U.S. codes. He says, I have to call my boss. Stabler fights though and goes, no, Micah isn't going anywhere. BD Wong opens his mouth, like jaw to the floor, like, excuse me, and slowly walks back. Back and goes, and how are you going to stop me? And Slayer trying to big dick him and goes, you're not the only one with the feds on speed dial. And it's like, it's not speed dial. He is the FBI. Like, I can't believe Stabler's trying to big time him. And it's like, you have him on call. He has the badge, bitch. I, I know, but I kind of get what Stabler, like in this moment, I feel like Huang is only looking out for Micah and Stabler and Benson are looking at the bigger picture of like, what's going on with the other kids. Like, we got to find these other fucking kids. They're in danger right now. And I think that's where this is all stemming from. Yeah. So they have a stare off into the blackness. So we open up and Benson and Stabler are visiting Gloria Rubin, who's playing assistant U.S. attorney Christine Danielson. She's a Neil Bear. She's a Neil Bear darling. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I always know Gloria. I always remember Gloria Rubin from her role on ER where she played a doctor with HIV. And that was like one of the first like that was like such an important character, I feel. Wow. You know, and um, that's like always how I knew her. But then I know she's been in 
as for you other times as well. But like she is a she's a Neil Bear fave, I feel. And Saber's like, wow, you've mo- you've moved up in the world. And she's like, why are you guys here? You got this. The case is solid. Why do you have to bring me in? And so they just disc- and then she starts talking numbers. So globally, about 27 million people are trafficked. And in the U.S., that's 14 to 18,000. But she thinks that number is low. She then says how, like, if a girl from Indonesia is trafficked here and she's found, she gets aid and services. But if it's a girl from New York, she gets nothing. She goes to a TV screen and starts showing photos and chatting about victims. And this is just like a pure lesson time. This does not move the plot in any capacity, but it does help us understand what's really going on. And it's really sad. So we first see a 14-year-old girl who's enslaved by a suburban family in Minnesota. She cooks and cleans and sleeps in the closet. And it's like, who is this family? You know, like a regular family just has a child, because I bet they have children. But that it's different than this girl and they keep her in the closet. It's like, it's sickening. It's so, yeah. I can't even imagine. And then to, to clean and cook, it's so, ch- like, it's affordable. We have someone come to the house, uh, you know, every couple of weeks, every month. It's, a, it's an affordable price. I don't understand why you'd need a child slave. <sighs> so then even if it's not affordable, clean your own fucking house. You don't get a child slave. Yeah, like, that's you know. true, too. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, if it's even if you can't afford it, I'm not okay with child slavery. Let me go on the record. <laughs> oh my god! So then there was a 12 year old sold by her mother for five grand to a middle aged man who shared her with his friends, and now a nine year old girl in Portland tossed to the street by her grandmother, and she got taken by a pimp who charged premium prices for someone so young. Ugh. Just reminds me when parents talk about having unconditional love for their kids and how that's not guaranteed. Yeah. Um, She's like, for each one saved, there are eight more like them and there's not much else to do like without funding for domestic victims. So what happens to Micah's friends when we find them? And she says, I promise I'll take care of them and protect them. I'll use my budget um, and we'll figure it out. But she hasn't decided yet if she's going to take their bait. And they look confused and shocked by the statement. Benson's mouth is open wide and Sailor says, we did the legwork. And she's like, well, I have the task force, the funding and the personnel I need. And then I'm thinking, should have stuck with Huang, you idiots. But then Benson leans in and goes, yeah, and your personnel isn't familiar with the case and they need to be read in and that's a waste of time and we need to save these kids. And Stabler adds that Manhattan is yet to ever make one sex traffic conviction, and we can make a local example with this. She thinks about it. Benson looks worried in her eyes. Stabler pleads, please, please help us out. So she shakes her head and then goes, give me your tin. That's the badge. So they switch their badges. They give their NYPD badges. They get U.S. Marshal deputy badges. And I'm wondering, like, LOL, how did she have those badges just ready? Two badges ready to give to random people? And so they swap them out. And with these credentials, they can work outside of their jurisdiction. Benson smiles, really cheeky vibes. And then they raise their right hand and take an oath. Finn is staring at the boy in the hospital through glass at Micah with his lawyer. Stabler and Benson run in and Stabler is like pumped to have screwed over Huang. And it bothers me. And I just, I don't get it. He's like, so how mad is Huang? about the bad news. And Finn gives him, Finn goes, why don't you give him some space? He used words I've never heard him use. And he asks to see the badges and they're like showing these badges off like little children. So then, <laughs> uh, so then Gloria Rubin runs in and knows Finn. I mean, she's from, uh, you know, they, she's from four episodes going back to 2002. She did play a different character, but they've, they do know this person. And she asks how Micah is doing identifying people and he's matched seven possible matches. 
but he ran through something uh, and there's nothing. And then all of a sudden he sees a photo and he starts thrashing. He gets up violently. So the lawyer runs to the window and shows them the photo and it's Victoria Reyes. And we obviously hate her, um, AKA Kiki Ramos. Um, lots of AKA. She has tons of names and they're going to add Magda Paloma to the list of names. She's served time in Maryland and they haven't been able to find her since her record is sealed because she flipped for a deal and got witness protection. Even with those badges, they can't get into that folder. Benson and Stable are like, hmm, maybe the AUSA assigned to the case has access. And Gloria goes, we're very territorial. So stupid. So then the AUSA is the United States Attorney's Office. And Stabler breaks it down. What kind of press do you want? Live victims or dead kids? She sighs. She looks off to think. So they go and they try to see what they can do. So they're at Federal Correctional Institution interview room in Danbury, Connecticut, Sunday, October 3rd. She's pleading with a tall string bean of a man who's like, this better not mess up my case bullshit. We've heard this so many times and it's like, you're always wrong. Like these men are always wrong. They're wrong constantly and never learn a lesson. And it reminds me of Con Air, which Kara did recently watch for the first time. Yes. And it's like that angry dude. And it's like, he was wrong like seven times in that episode. (laughs) I mean, in that movie and would not stop yelling and demanding things. It's like, fuck you. You stupid men in charge are always wrong. So behind him, though, is the bitch Paloma sitting behind glass. And she says she's not talking without immunity. And they're like, yeah, she has it. And he seems shocked. They're like, he's like, fuck, how big is your case? And she has no patience. And she snaps, quit fishing. Tell your witness to cooperate. She gives lip and says, I don't have to talk to you. And she gets right in the in her face. Fine. Then I will vacate the deal you have on the table right now. No witness protection, no immunity immunity. And the lawyer yells, you can't do that. And Gloria Rubin goes, you're threatening my human trafficking case. I can and I will. My case is bigger and the AG loves headlines. I mean, besides the horrific cases, um, learning all these acronyms seems so hard for the job. Like, how do you remember every (laughs) single initial? There's just so many letters and codes. It's like, I don't understand. Um, So she shimmies in her chair. Stabler walks over and opens a folder with Micah and Carly. And it's just so sad that what they've been through. She looks down and smiles and says, yeah, got a thousand bucks each. She's cold. She's cold blooded. She's smug. She doesn't feel bad. But also this woman, I looked her up. She has barely any credit. She should be working more. I think she plays soulless very, very well. Yeah, she's good. She thinks about it and takes a breath before revealing it's Liam and Julie Ryan, wannabe farmers. But she's never seen the farm. Fuck. The guy was careful and he would meet and pick up the kids. Um, We talked on burn phones that he would give me and he said he needed some merchandise to work on the fields and I got it for him. Where did they meet? So they met at a farm and feed store in some town called Wyandank. Wyandank, whatever. She delivered seven kids and even says, I heard they turned those kids out. Evil bitch, isn't worried. They ask if she knew any of their names and she says, I didn't ask, I didn't care. All you saw was dollar signs, huh? And she's like, yeah. And of course she then gets pissed and says, well, no one came to my rescue. That's all we are, dollar signs. So it's classic, you know, obviously she was abused forever and now she has no um, care for anybody and wants them to suffer as much as she did. Um, so I bet her and the girl from Damaged would get along. I hope they meet in jail one day. I feel like Ari Grainer <laughs> and this evil bitch can be sold in jail together making friendship bracelets that say well, mean she's, things. She's like the um she's like Laura um Gomez who we interviewed her character. Remember from like where she's helping to traffic the girls yeah. cuz yeah. she was trafficked herself. Like yeah. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, hopefully she meets her in jail, too. They can all, like, <laughs> reminisce. So <laughs> then she reveals something bad. So she worked, She only worked with them for less than a year and recently stopped. I guess she does have limits because she heard a rumor they burned some workers when the heat was closing in. So they kill kids. They burn them. And, uh, it, Yeah awful it keeps getting worse so illegals she says are too scared to talk so they just have to kill the kids um and that happened in florida and they made the kids drink kool-aid so this is on par with charisma like i think this is the most dark horrible situation ever like that was a bunch of dead kids and now this i i it's just it's just dark so benson says there's no record of them buying anything in suffolk county no bank accounts no credit they're paying cash stabler then does have a great idea Let's fax over the photos of them to the farm and feed store and see if they're regulars there. Benson nods. Finn's on the computer getting scoops. So they lost their farm in Maryland due to foreclosure. They moved to North Carolina and then Florida, and they must have skipped town before Sarasota PD could question them. After neighbors reported they had illegal illegal labor, and when they got there, they found all these bodies of children, cyanide with grape juice. Cragen runs in with a little paper in his hand. The Ryans are leasing 10 acres off the books from... um, from a farmer that just went bankrupt. So Stabler and Benson are driving um, like so fast and Finn's going to have Suffolk County PD meet them there. Stabler is very clear. No lights, no sirens. We can't spook them or the kids will die. So Gloria is in the backseat of the car and she's calling to get warrants set and first responders ready on, ha- on hand with cyanide kits. It's a dirt bumpy road and there's a truck um, driving at them. They start playing chicken. Benson hangs out the door with a gun ready to shoot. They fly off the road and the detectives get them with guns. They put their hands out the windows right away. They're not playing games right now. And it's just like the plainest looking blonde woman I've ever seen. Like, like what we assume criminals look like, they are not. They are, this is it. Benson and Gloria rush to the farm. They gotta help these kids. Benson enters, gun up. Hello, is anybody there? She announces she's a police officer. And then she remembers, oh my God, the root cellar. We gotta go underground. She goes underground. There's children chained up. It is so sad. And the chains are all like, they. it pulls all their arms over their heads because there's like a thin pole and Benson's trying to tear down the pole. So to get all the chains down, the kids are puking. They've already been poisoned. The EMTs start coming in. He and the EMT has all the stuff needed in the cyanide kit. And this actor was probably so stressed or maybe they got a real EMT because he had to say hydroxycobalaminin. (laughs) (laughs) hydroxycobalamin yeah should bind the crystals he says and then a thiosulfate iv and a hyperbaric oxygen but that that's a tough audition that's a tough audition but it's a small (laughs) enough part like i wonder if they were able to get a real emt yeah but you know we've we've talked to people who have memorized wilder but um so and but he only has a 10 to 15 minute window to save these kids there's so many kids and i hope they're able to do it this is horrible another emt joins and the faces on benson and stabler are pained they are in pain and this is just so sad and to think that kids are living like this so the scum criminals are being shackled and put into separate cop cars and i'm so happy they're going to be locked away for fucking life that they're dressed bad they're clearly the worst people but like unassuming as fuck. Um, and then they're, they're in full body chains. And so that's 
like cool. Gloria goes, wow, full body chains. And Stabler goes, they're lucky they're not in body bags. And they invoked right away, obviously, their career criminals. They found a laptop. They found tons of cash. Hopefully they'll be able to find like all the kids that they sold. And um, they do have to switch their badges out though. So they get to do a little swap on the badges. Thank you, Benson um, says. And Gloria says, the door is always open. And they're at Bellevue and Micah's in bed. And now, you know, uh-oh, the dad's in the hospital. He goes, fuck, my daughter is dead and my son killed her. And it is your fault. And he <laughs> asks um, how to fix this. And there you go. Listen, it's going to take a lot of time and care, but Micah needs counseling and support and you have to do it. And we need to make sure he feels safe. And the dad goes, well, I live in a car. And they go, not anymore. They talk to a shelter geared towards families. It's temporary housing, but all of them are getting housing until he can get back on his feet. And he is shocked that they're helping him after he screwed up so bad. But they know Micah cannot get better without him. And I, I just, I hate him. I don't know. I'd be if I was Mike, I'd be pissed at my dad. Like, I don't know how you get over it. I really don't. Yeah. Selling me to sex traffickers? What? The dad nods, thanks them, and goes towards Micah, who's in the hospital bed, and begins to cry and says, I'm sorry. And the dad says, it's not your fault. It's mine. And we can all agree with that. And then Benson and Stabler walk off like the superheroes they are um, as Benson hair sways in the wind. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. <laughs> Dark. Thank you so much. Wow. Yeah. Dark, a dark, dark episode. But um, seeing little kids will... in chains in a cellar is tough. Like, I wonder who those little kids are. They're stage parents. They were all there. Like, how do you explain it to the kids? It's just like a lot. I know. Ugh. It's really gross. Um, okay. Well, please um, cleanse your palate with a few words from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, so this episode, I think partially just the beginning part and the brother-sister relationship, I think is based on um, the death of Janice Marie Brock. She was born in 1957, and then at some point, her parents lost custody, and she and her younger brother, Timothy, were put into foster care. So in 1969, at the age of 12, um, I don't know how old Timothy is, but Janice is 12. And she's Janice Marie, but she goes by Marie mostly in her life. So she is 12. They get adopted by the Youngs of Newport News, Virginia. And so their surnames changed from Brock to Young. So now she's Janice Marie Young. Around 1972, she's 15. She is raped by an adopted sibling, which her younger brother witnessed. So she packs her shit into a, a pillowcase and she gets the hell out of there. And her and her brother were so close. And he, he's like, you know, we were like each other's teddy bear, each other's comfort blankets. And he's like, we both endured a lot of abuse. And when she ran away, I figured it would just be for like a little bit, but then he never saw her again. So what happened was on June 9th, 1973, a teenage girl is pushed in front of a car and killed in St. Petersburg, Florida. And it's really 
graphic. I mean, like, I know that the sound was graphic for you in this episode, but apparently this girl was, like, dragged 100 feet and, like, was unrecognizable from this this uh, being hit by this car. She'd been fighting with a man named Lawrence Dorn. Dorn said he didn't even know her, but had given her and some other people a ride. And then at the house where he dropped them off, he claimed she attacked him with a broken bottle and a knife. And he said when he shoved her, he was acting in self-defense. So he was charged with her murder, but then later the charge was downgraded to manslaughter and eventually they were the charges were dropped altogether because they couldn't prove his intent. And this just like reminds me of in the episode where they were like, well, we got to talk to Micah about his intent when he was like, when he pushed his sister. So that makes me feel like this is, you know, loosely borrowed from this. And so this unidentified woman had actually been in touch with the police hours earlier. The police had stopped to question her and they had given her the name Marie Brock. And since Janice often went by her middle name and Brock was her original last name before she was adopted by these people that abused her and let her get sexually assaulted. So unable to find her family because they're looking up Marie Brock, the police assumed that she'd given them a fake name and named her a Jane Doe and she was buried in an unmarked grave. But her little brother, Timothy, never stopped looking for his sister, Janice. He looked for her for 42 years, um, but he was always looking for her as Janice Young, never as Janice Brock. So then one day he finally decides in like the 2010s, he decides to do a search for Janice Brock and he finds a composite sketch on a Facebook post that he thought that kind of looks like my sister calls the St. Petersburg police. And then finally in 2015, you know, her body was disinterred in like 2010. I don't know why this all took so long, but 2015 through DNA testing with her brother, they did identify her finally after 42 years as Janice Marie Brock. So her brother, Timothy, lives in North Carolina and he keeps her ashes with him in his house. So she's always with him and he finally found her. So that's like a little bit, I think, the brother, sister and the getting pushed. Um, another thing that was listed, I mean, this, this episode is obviously based on sex trafficking in general and human trafficking, but I... Well, I'll start with this. So there's an article from 2004 that the New York Times published, which was like a huge investigative piece into like the big business of sex slaves and sex trafficking in, in the U.S., Mexico, and, and abroad as well. It tells the stories of a lot of young women trafficked from Mexico living as sex slaves. There's a lot of young women in Ukraine and Russia who sometimes like paid money to go be nannies in the U.S. or waitresses in Paris. Like there would be big like billboards that were like, Paris is waiting for you, just like, you know, and then they would end up going into Mexico where they would get broken down and then they would get sold to U.S. buyers a lot of times. So this article refers to a lot of these young, and this article came out literally right as this episode dropped. So this was a hot topic in 2004. Also, George W. Bush made sex trafficking a huge uh, thing. So he's the president at the time. So the article refers to the young victims in as products or purchases in quotes. So I think that's like where we got some of this inspo for like the title merchandise and for calling them that. So they also talk about how a lot of times women play the role of breaking down the children psychologically. Like they bond with them as mother figures and then they crush their spirits. So it's a lot like the Victoria Reyes character in the episode. Like most of these women were once victims and then this, they eventually move into more, you know, supervisory roles in these trafficking circles and stuff. And then the abuse and uh, 
cycle of abuse perpetuates and continues. I'm not going to recap this entire article because it's 20 years old and I'm sure a lot of the info is out of date, but I will put it in the source list if you want to read it. It's like extremely harrowing. It's like the stuff in this episode barely touches it because the stuff in this episode is a lot about the U.S. is obviously about New York. What's in this article is a lot about what's happening in Mexico. There's like kids being taken as toddlers, as very little children. They are being forced to do sex work for dozens of people a day. And like, it's like you were saying, the prices seem cheap for what Micah was doing. These girls are doing it for $4.50. Like they're doing it for pesos. Like it's really like, it's unconscionable. And they're like talking about how much they could make in a day. And you're like breaking it down. You're like, oh, they could make $2,000 in a day, but they're only getting paid $4.50 per John. Like that's fucked. Like, you know, so $4.50, by the way. So it's really horrible. Like it's young girls and boys. They're psychologically and physically broken down to be sold as sexual objects. It's very stomach turning. But I realized in reading this article, how much of what they've described I've already like seen on SVU. Like, you know, where like shipping containers coming over with kids from other countries and like even the one of the episodes from the first episode is slaves, you know, where she's kept under the, she comes over from Romania and she's kept under a bed at like by the psychopath. Like, so SVU does do, has tackled this subject many times. And I thought what was interesting is that when I was reading about it, I found this interview with Neil Bear and Gloria Rubin talking about the episode. So this interview was on a website that doesn't even exist anymore. I had to find it in the Wayback Machine. And what's weird is like, there's barely anything to the interview. It's like two quotes. Um, it's like, how do you like playing this character to Gloria Rubin? She's like, um, I mean, pretty good. I've only done it once before. Like, it was just such a weird interview. But then in it, Neil Bear talks about how he was teaching a class at Harvard and talking about sex trafficking and a student came up to him and was actually telling him about the farm work, like a lot of the human trafficking that goes on without the sexual element that happens right in the U.S. So Neil Bear is quoted as saying, we hear about sex trafficking, which is horrendous, but we don't hear as much about trafficking where kids are forced to work on farms and work for people in their homes. And um, so I guess that's what he was trying to bring to the forefront in this episode. But they definitely just mesh it, it, like meld it with the sexual trafficking that's also going on all the time. And I'm sure in real life it it can cross over. But I found an academic paper uh, while I was doing this research called Children in Chains, colon, On the Productive and Exploitative Tendencies of Representation in Law and Order Special Victims Unit by Catherine Hampshire from Ball State University. I'm not an academic. I don't know how academic this paper is, it looked very nice. It looked like it was in a beautiful PDF online. So I don't know, you know, like if this person is just like a random college student publishing this, but there were just some interesting points in it that I wanted to bring up. Like in the paper, um, she talks about how how SVU talking about this specific branch of trafficking is productive in that it expands the discourse about trafficking to include children forced into labor and other practices outside of sex, slavery, and prostitution, because that's where a lot of the attention tends to lie. She also says that it reveals the traumatic implications that these experiences can have on their victims based on real-life experience. Like, um, she quotes a person who works with real-life child trafficking victims named Daniela Nicolescu, who says... 
The analyzed subjects show us that the forms of abuse which the child endured while being trafficked have disastrous consequences on the emotional balance and on the general behavior of children, end quote, which is seems obvious, but that includes Stockholm syndrome, panic, PTSD, anxiety, and often victims on SVU, they show them dealing with these um, traumatic experiences. So those were her positives. And then her negatives were like showing the kids back and his like bruises and cuts and stuff what is exploitative and that can like that kind of thing would re-traumatize a victim handcuffing him and acting like that's the only way he can be approached like she had other problems with the episode but it was um it was you know definitely giving props to the episode for talking about the farm work part of it I don't uh, think it's exploitative and- because I think it shows the viewer like me how fuck fucked fucked up it is and how evil they are and the desperation he felt yeah. for pushing his sister in because it's confusing. But then when you see these welts and you see that all these other children's lives are dependent on you returning, like, yeah, I think it adds to the vicious, like, nature of these fucking criminals yeah, yeah, and, yeah. like, what these kids are going through. But, you know, I can see where she's coming from, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, totally, totally. And SVU treads the line of that this all the time. I mean, ultimately all of this is entertain it's all for entertainment, but the show does like educate and bring up like so much of this article from 2004, which I'm sure was a bombshell at the time. I was like, yeah, I've seen all of this in SVU. Like I've seen like all of this, like mothers that are like, I don't know where my child is, or they can talk on the phone and they're like, mom, like they're in Mech, their parents are in Mexico. They're in Queens. And they're like, I don't know where I am. I don't know if I can ever get back to you. And then this our, our article that this guy wrote in the Times like is really well researched. Like this man went to dangerous places to talk to child trafficking victims, to pimps, madams, like all kinds of people. He had to go to certain places in Mexico where people were like, oh, if you go there, the cops protect this tra- this trafficking ring. Like you're not going to get any info. And so like he would have to go in with like, a, like help from federal help, like, you know, representatives from the Mexican government or whatever to try to like get to talk and get these facts about this, this whole epidemic. And it's really horrible. And I do feel like it's going on still. There's like all these, there's like these moms that are like in the article that are just naming kids in their neighborhoods. Like, oh yeah, she's gone. She's gone. She's gone. Like these girls get pulled off the street. Like I think that stuff does happen. And I think it's it was happening in Mexico at that time. A lot of these rings have been broken up since. Uh, there was a huge um, Russian-Ukrainian one that was, that was broken up in the early 2000s before this article came out. So, you know, they are working to break that down. And it's really sad because when they talk to a couple of these victims, they are so anonymous. Like their names are changed. They don't even want their initials printed in the article because they're like... I can't even deal with what they'll do to my family if I even get sus- suspected. But there, a lot of them say, you know, you get to a point where you don't even want to go home to your family because you're like, who even am I now? Like, what will they even think of me? Like, I've been gone for so long and this is what I've become. Like, it's just so sad and dark. But at the same time, like I've said it before, I do think that some of the child trafficking and sex trafficking shit that has proliferated in the U.S. now on TikTok hugely is a lot, a lot in a lot of ways garbage. Like, I mean, I've seen videos of women like holding up a receipt that has a smiley face on it on TikTok going, this is how they, this is how they track you for trafficking. Or like, if you find a zip tie on the front of your car, don't take it off. Someone's trafficking, trying to mark you for trafficking. Like this kind of stuff is 
crazy. And so I, as always, like to direct people to the You're Wrong About episode that's called Human Trafficking. Um, I'll I've put it in the sources for this episode so you can go directly there to listen to it because they take, they have a really well-rounded view of trafficking wherein they point out what they try to show in this episode, which is that it's extremely common for people to just be trafficked for labor and to be mistreated on farms where they are forced to work, never paid, you know, exposed to pesticides, like, you know, exposed to harmful conditions, hypothermia, a heat stroke, like all this stuff. And it's just not necessarily the they're going to pluck a suburban woman off the streets of Chicago, you know, while she's jogging the way that some people think it is like, and they do a much better job than I can explaining this. And a lot of the, like, I was reading in this interview with Gloria Rubin and Neil Bear that they were like, yeah, we really wanted to get out the statistics and stuff like that. But then uh, that was in 2004 when this was popping off. And since then, it feels like a lot of the statistics have been debunked. You know, like if you call, if like the NICMIC, which we have used as a source and as a, what would Sister Peg do before the National Center for Exploited and Missing Children, they have certain numbers that will come out. But that's based on people that just call in. And if there's a whiff of child trafficking, they will put that down as someone who's like a child trafficking victim. That's not necessarily what's happening. They'll double count people. If a kid runs away seven times, that kid might be counted seven times as a runaway who's possibly being child trafficked. There's just a lot more to it than these huge numbers of right now, while we're sitting here, 30,000 kids are being trafficked. It's like not it's not as cut and dry with these statistics and a lot of them are flawed and have been debunked. So I think what they did a good job with is showing that it's like family that sells you because I think it's really easy to get behind the idea that some faraway traffickers are abusing children and it's a lot harder to believe the children in front of you that are telling you they're being abused and mistreated by family members, trusted members of community. And that's why I think with this panic and that, um, you know, QAnon movie and on TikTok, I show up, it's like women grabbing their child's foot in a stroller as they're at Target so no one takes their kid. And it's like, that's actually easier to panic about that than to do something about when your fucking brother is molesting someone or a grandma sells someone. So it's like, yeah, it kind of um, my latest Uber driver was a Jehovah's Witness and he was he was really working it. (laughs) I had to be like, honey, wrong tree. Like, it's not going to happen. But, you know, I'm chatting. We're chatting. We're chatting. And then we actually start talking about wildly, I bring, I don't know how we got here, but about how black women die um, giving birth so much Uh and how fucked up it is and how women aren't believed when they go to the doctor and that it's dangerous and all this stuff. I don't even know how we got there. And he turns and he goes, that's what I'm saying. I'm just waiting for God and to come down and save this for us. And it's like, yeah, it's so much easier for you to do all these missions and work on behalf of God. This thing that might happen or not versus actually doing actual work to help real people that are in front of you. Yeah. You know, it's just easier to pretend it's some boogeyman, but yes. it's the people in your neighborhood. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know why it's, it's such a huge right wing 
hot button, especially right now with QAnon and everything well, and the like Sound of Freedom it, movie. And, they yeah. don't actually have to make real changes. They don't actually have to like even question their part in what's happening. It's, you know. But the other thing is too, is that they touch on in this episode of You're Wrong About that I've always am like constantly harping on is that the reason why it's a right-wing touching point as well is because ultimately human trafficking, like like restrictions and guidelines and all this stuff affects sex workers. Like it it harms sex workers and they want to shut down sex work. Like that's that. And it's racism as well. Like, where Cindy McCain filed a report of human trafficking at the Phoenix airport because she saw a mother and a child that were two different ethnicities and thought it was a trafficking thing. And it was not. So it's like, but that, you know, that's a hot button issue for these people. Well, and this is an old episode of ours, but about um, Roger Kraft or Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots. They talk about this in that episode. Yeah, like the massage parlors in Florida and all these rich dudes. And it's like the the raids happen on to save sex workers. But at the end of the day, the only people really punished were sex workers. None of these rich dudes getting handies and using sex workers got punished. They all got free. But ever all these women were on house arrest, deported, jail time, fees, couldn't work. And it was later, like what they talk about in this episode also is that it was discovered later that even the New York Times and reputable outlets were um, reporting on stories by local cops in that craft bus that were bullshit, that were later totally proved like bogus. So all of this to say, like, there are absolutely children being abused all over the world right now. And it's horrific. And it's like, it's so hard to, like this, the, the 2004 article had details that were like absolutely like, the New York Times article that I linked to, it's like absolutely stomach turning, as I said. But, but also when you think about it, and when you see it in SVU episodes, it's like these kids are like beaten and on drugs and like out of it. And it's like, that's what you're doing for your bachelor party. It's like weird. I know. It's weird to me that that's even like an enjoyable. Well, they were talking about it too in this, in the article about how they're a little bit blaming porn but they're like the the sexual appetite for people is has become harder like more violent more younger like just really and it's they they the, you know in the article they're like that's what's driving this craze or whatever ultimately it's like i don't know it's just like i mean th- they're talking in in this article a lot about mexico just like kidnapping kids and turning them out and selling them all over the place. I don't know how much that's happening domestically right in the U.S., but it's horrific either way. I just feel like we need to uh, sort of like, yeah, like let's focus on getting more accurate data and like not penalizing sex workers and like figuring out like, I don't even know if these rings are still happening. I know they were, and in, but in 2001, it said like they were saying a lot of them got broken up. So I don't know, people will sell drugs, guns, other people for money. And I don't know, we have to just figure out ways to stop that, but I'm certainly not the person to do that. But I do recommend this um, podcast episode very highly because it really articulates what I am being terrible at articulating about this. No, you're doing a good job. And I think um, us together have made it very clear. (laughs) Um, But an invisible trafficker is easier to panic about than when it's your local leaders or 
church leaders or in your family. And so it gives people this sense that they're doing something positive and they're not. You don't have to hold your baby's ankle at Target. But, okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Check your receipts, guys. They're coming for you. We will be back in a sec with our postmortem. That was a troubling episode. Thanks for listening to that one. Um, Yeah, I guess people are for sale and people will buy a baby and raise it to be its victim. I think that was the most horrifying for me. I didn't know that. Well, I hope that that's truly like a rare occurrence and like not like a more of a boogeyman thing than anything because it's like... You'd have to be very wealthy. So it's it's a 1% thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm sure it's happened, but it's... Yeah, you have to be quite rich to make that happen or just sick. I mean, the prices we hear aren't even a lot. Like, that's the thing. It's like they work these fucking kids. It's just really, really... It's a disaster because we're all, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're all allowed to have bad days and, like, be upset by what's happening in our own lives. But if you just take one second to think about the global population, it is... It's like a miracle, the life we're living. Yeah. And it's also just like the more and more I think about reproductive rights. I'm not saying like any of these children should like not exist. I'm just saying that like, I think a lot of times it's like children are born into like cycles of violence. They're born into poverty. They're born into like, like, like situations where reproductive freedom like was not available to the families. And it really does just like affect poorer populations. And then it's like, we've got children turning tricks because their families just like like are desperate or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, so I just feel like these, these, uh, the, the communities of, you know, that are facing economic hardships are disproportionately affected by, you know, either religious or political pressure to, to have kids no matter what and this and that. And then it's like, we just have thousands of these kids that are just like, you know, being forced into labor, forced into sex work, forced into something, you know? Well, and that family, like, you know, it was medical bills that got them in. And there's just no safety net in this country for anything. Like, one illness can destroy you. One job loss, one layoff. And that's why, as a society, I'm so confused why we treat homeless people so poorly when we're all just, like, one terrible thing away from living on the streets. And we treat them like, ugh, Like they deserve, like, I really will never understand a person that sees someone sleeping outside and has nothing but like compassion and sad, like, of like, fuck, that must suck. Like, I really don't understand the people that are like, put the migrants on a bus and ship them over there. Like, I don't, I, I will never understand that. Like. No, I was just reading that about this. I was just reading like a random Instagram about a woman who was like, I had savings. I was doing great. I got into a car accident that completely fucked my life up. Couldn't work, couldn't do this. And now is like living, you know, on SNAP and in in government housing. It's like, it truly is so close. Everybody is so close to losing everything from one catastrophic event, you know? Hopefully not this Christmas. Yeah. You know, (laughs) this is a perfect, perfect holiday season episode uh, to just talk about the horrors of the fucking world. And it is like overwhelming. When I was reading this article, I was like, there's so much information here. The numbers are so staggering. They're so overwhelming. It's like, I can't even start to think about how many children are just in horrible situations all over the world because I have, I like, I shut off. 
You know, well, we have to. I mean, they always say that like our brains weren't meant for this much information. Like we shouldn't yeah. be knowing everything we're knowing. It's like that's why I think we're all going nuts. It's 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 too much to handle. Um, but also, I feel like when we first started the podcast, we'd be like. Oh, it's this holiday. Like, what what will match? And now we're like, here's a human trafficking one. Merry Christmas, <laughs> you filthy animals. <laughs> yeah, let's do the let's do the one where Liv goes to the Bahamas because it's Christmas time. <laughs> no, we're just doing merchandise because you capitalists all just gave your kids a bunch of presents. <laughs> well, I did like this is outdated now, but I did like the kind of fuck you for Black Friday. That was exciting where the sales weren't good and people weren't shopping and there were no lines and everyone's like, honestly, go fuck yourselves and that was just cool stop just, just no one offer- even went online no one yeah. went on I didn't because usually I do online Monday there was nothing it did not really I that was cool oh yeah I heard I thought I heard cyber Monday people were like spending but like yeah I think the like pushing each other down for flat screens at a Walmart's not really happening anymore like no because but like there's also like buy nothing groups and like, you know, I'm in these mom groups where people are trading very valuable stuff all the time and selling it for less and blah, blah, blah. Like, so I just think there's a lot of other ways besides like, you know, getting trampled at three in the morning on Thanksgiving morning that you can do. And, and, uh, I like that some stores are taking a stand and saying, we're we're just not going to be open on Thanksgiving. We're going to let our staff actually enjoy the holiday. So, yeah. But like, yeah, yeah, just start giving deals out like the way Amazon does Prime Day or whatever. Start giving deals out the beginning of the middle of Thanksgiving and have them go till Christmas. You're going to get your sales. We don't need Black Friday. Yeah, do what Amazon does. (laughs) But you know what? Just have it be a long period of sales. So it's just like you're giving people sales. People are buying shit. You're stimulating the economy and nobody's fighting each other. Yeah, that goes for a little store, too. You know, yeah. I got to make my way over to a little store in uh, the middle of L.A. because I just heard a girl I went to high school with owns a little toy store and she doesn't do online sales. Wow. Yeah, it's over in Miracle Mile. I got to go check it out. Anyway, guys, take care of your children. Keep them close. Jesus, there's so much horror in the world. That's the postmortem on this episode. Let's get to what would Sister Peg do where we try to hug your kids. Yeah, we try to help a little bit with What Would Sister Peg Do? This is our weekly segment where we direct you towards um, a book, an organization, uh, an article, something to give you more info about what we talked about today. And you guys know I can't stop fucking talking about this podcast you're wrong about. And so I wanted to direct you specifically to their their episode about human trafficking. I, I brought it up so many times on the show. The episode does a really great job of highlighting how sex trafficking numbers are overblown and how like the idea of stranger danger got sort of pushed out again during the Bush administration. And that's more of a boogeyman. And that stuff like what we see in this episode, children being forced into labor is much more prevalent and much more and harder to police. And, you know, so listen to that episode. It is linked in our show notes and will be posted on our Instagram stories the day this episode comes out and then saved forever in our WWSPD highlight that's on our Instagram page, which is That's Messed Up Pod. If you're not following us on Instagram, what are you doing with your life? Get over there. Get over there. Next week, we will be doing a fantastic episode called Breakwater, season 24, episode five. So, you know, enter this new season. I don't know. I was going to say enter the new millennium. I'm really losing it, I think. So (laughs) we're going to end this podcast, watch Breakwater, and we'll see you next week. And um, I hope you get to lounge all throughout New Year's. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. That's 
Next Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien, and our associate producer, Christina Chamberlain. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun, dun. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.